0: Hey everyone! Welcome back to another episode of National Fire Radio's podcast. Today, I'm joined on the Zoom with Jonathan Brumley, a firefighter out of Denver, Colorado. And you, I got to go through the bio. Ready? So we got the we got the <laughs> list here. I want to I want to nail him, brother. So Denver, Colorado. You've bounced around from other few departments before you got to Denver. We're going to go through your whole pedigree because I think it's an incredible story. Um, you have a finance degree you. in academia. I'm impressed a little bit. And uh, and the firefight blog, I know that's your your page and you're an author for it, a fire instructor for fire by trade and uh, published through fire engineering, published mm-hmm. on fire engineering. You have taught at FDIC. You're teaching mm-hmm. again this year, 2022 at FDIC. Uh, the class this year is titled Attack of the Two and a Half Hose: a case for the bigger hand line. Welcome, Jonathan Brumley. What's up, brother?
1: Hey, I'm doing well. How are you today?
0: I'm doing very well. I want to thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule. Um, I know with uh, a father of three and uh, an incredible and supportive wife, plus the job, plus all the other things you do, uh, like myself, I know how hard it is to find some free time. So I do appreciate and value you being here today. Thank you.
1: Oh, thank you for inviting me. It's a, uh, it's a phenomenal experience to do this every time. And I just like every other firefighter love talking shop and making time to do it. You know, it's always a priority.
0: Oh, uh, that's awesome. I, I That's <laughs> fantastic. So I kind of want to jump into it and maybe a little backstory. Um, you know, the, the fire service is fun because we come to find the same names run in the same circles. We surround ourselves mm-hmm. with, with good people, like-minded people, um, you have an incredible drive and push and passion that I want to get into and talk about for the fire service. And you have surrounded yourself and been able to become a part of, uh, you know, fire by trade and your own blog, um, and so on that push you to be better and to share your passion with others. Where does that all come from? I mean, let's like, talk about your start. I mean, cause I have to think that you rooted pretty heavily early on kind of set the stage for where you are today in your career.
1: Uh, yeah, definitely. Uh, my my parents probably instilled that drive more than anybody else, and that started from elementary school on. That the expectation was that I would always do, you know, my absolute best, and and they saw something in me and and drove me to to do well. So uh, grades always mattered to my parents, and and just doing well and and representing our family well was was something that was instilled from me early on. And that just kind of continued throughout everything that I've done. I re- I really feel like even before the fire service and the the menial jobs that I had and even the more substantial jobs that I had, regardless of the position that I wanted I was in, I, yeah. I wanted to be an asset in that position. And I saw the the benefits to that, not only for me personally, but it it improved the teams that I was on as a whole through all of the sports that I played growing up, I, I just wanted to, to be an asset and to do what I could to, to make the team better in, in that regard. And that's truly followed me through the fire service. And now that I'm in the fire service, I, I've truly tried to surround myself with people who continue to push me towards those goals. And the more people that I run into that are those driving forces, the, the more you want to the more you want to, you know, follow in their footsteps and, you know, just continue that torch and and pass along what they've been so gracious to give me as well. So, there there's an element of that too, where it's it's respect out of the the mentors and and the people who have influenced me along the way that that I want to be a, a positive representative of what they've given me. So yeah, that, I mean that's you know that's really where that comes from.
0: And I love that because listening to you, it's team, it's us, it's it's the whole. Yeah, it takes strong individuals to make a strong team.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. It, it, everybody has to play their role, and they have to play it well if you want to excel. So I recognize that, and a lot of the, the people that I surround myself recognize that as well.
0: So how did you find the fire service?
1: Really, it was – I've got the cheesiest story ever to the fire service. So <laughs> you mentioned my finance degree. I was about yeah. to finish up college, graduate with that, and I was – Going to mutual companies and doing things like interviews with Merrill Lynch and stuff like that, and I'm sitting there talking to my wife, like, "Is this shirt really and tie, what I want to baby do, shirt man? and tie? Is this really the path that I see my life going?" And I wasn't convinced that it was. And here's where the cheesiness comes in. So one night we're sitting together watching this. Older movie, it was with Kurt Cameron, where it was Fireproof. It was, uh, it was one of the earliest like Christian films, yeah, uh, that was out there. Right. And I'm watching this movie, Fireproof, and I'm like, this is ridiculous, but I absolutely want to do that job someday. And That's I just awesome. happened to be in a position back in Colorado at that time after I had uh, graduated college, and there was a volunteer department nearby that I had a cousin on, and just kind of picked his brain a little bit. They just happened to be hiring around the exact same time that, that this was going on in my life. And uh, I went through their little drills for what you would call a CPAT and right. had a, a little interview to be a volunteer. And man, from day one, I was absolutely hooked, hooked when I was actually at that station.
0: How much of that were you missing from your sports days, right? Because I mean, it's it's to become part of the whole again, right? Become part I'm of a sure team. I'm sure it yeah. was. It, it, a lot of that was, but
1: I think it was a recognition that, that job mattered, like okay. there was yeah. specific purpose every single time you went out on a fire engine, you know, and, and you actually had a job that did something for the greater good. Yeah. And I know that, and I spent some time in an office. I, I worked for Wells Fargo, I worked for State Farm. And there were definitely days where you just question that, like, what is my goal here and what am I actually accomplishing? And I never had to question that in the fire
0: service. That's fantastic. I mean, that's that that's an internal question, right? You want to push yourself. You want to make something of yourself. You want to feel um, achievement, right? I mean, that that's fantastic. Yeah, I love it. So then you had to realize early on, right, once you were exposed to it, I mean, you kind of probably fell in love with it pretty quick.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. I was definitely the type that would sit at work, and again, I had an, an office job while I was volunteering, and I was the guy who had the the app up with the scanner. You know, Way to go. the call would drop on the phone. You know, I I couldn't leave work, but I could you know throw in a headphone real quick and listen. Oh, you to totally checked out, man. You totally you hear checked the brothers out. go to a job, and you're like, oh my gosh, like I don't want to be here anymore. Like that's right. exactly where I want to be.
0: Yeah. So then you say, Hey man, I can make a career of this No, Absolutely. I mean, coll- college degree, right? I don't know with some of the departments that you ended up getting hired with. I don't know if that mattered, but I mean, you were, you were, uh, you know, you had a college degree behind you. You had uh, <laughs> yeah. good, yeah. good schooling. So you're, you're a tester. You can, you can take tests. Um, you have drive and motivation. So at that point you said, let's roll, man. I could do this as a career.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. I I knew from the time that I started as a volunteer that that's exactly what I wanted to do is to pursue the career realm. It it was never really a question. And so, uh, I mean, within about a year of volunteering, I started testing really heavily. And at that time, honestly, I I was a little intimidated going to these tests. This was around 2008 or so. And so country was in a recession. I ended up in tests, Uh, even for the city that I live in now where I showed up to a test with 1100 people, and they were only guaranteeing five spots. So wow. at, at that time, a- especially here in Colorado, hiring just wasn't the same way that it is even today. Um, and it was a struggle, absolutely. And and I was a good test taker, but I certainly wasn't a perfect test taker. And it seemed like that's what it was going to take. So I really I, I expanded my realm of where I thought I wanted to be. It went well beyond where I lived at the time. And you know, I was sending out resumes all over and I was interviewing, you know, places that I could right, drive right. to immediately after I left work. And, uh, that took me to a small town in Nebraska. They were the, really the first to, to give me the, the opportunity to do it as a career. I will say that my volunteer department at the time did, uh, have a test for a career position at the same time i tested at the top of that and i got those two offers coinciding within a couple days actually and i really had to sit and evaluate because i absolutely loved the foundation that that department gave me and it is still one of the premier departments in the area uh even though they don't have a huge career staff they are a combination department with just a phenomenal program and what I love about that place most is you walk into that firehouse and you could never tell who was the volunteer, who was the paid because there's no ego there and everybody expects a certain level of, of excellence. And so yeah, yeah. that that's really what drove all that home. Uh, for my first couple of interactions but what it came down to for me was call volume and opportunity and the department that I went to in Nebraska had a little bit more of that for me so the volunteer was only running about 500 runs a year and uh, the career one was doing about 2,000 and they were offering things like you're hungry let's roll dive and rope rescue all these things so uh, it it was a little more flashy to go over to uh, to 100 percent uh, so that that's really what what took me there.
0: Yeah. So so you end up in Nebraska, right? Mm-hmm. So from Colorado to Nebraska. Yes. And from from Nebraska. How long were you in? How long were you in Nebraska for?
1: I was just shy of two years at that fire department, and knew all along that I was good. I was bit by the big city bug. Like you, you see, you see your brothers just doing it in the FDNY and in other places like Chicago, LA. And it's just a whole nother level of, of oh, experience it, and opportunity uh, and, and call volume and call types. And I knew I wanted that, too. And uh, that's what took me to Houston, Texas. So went from a department of 15 members to a department of over th- 4,000.
0: But from your volunteer roots to your career department of 15 mm-hmm. to the fourth or fifth largest or second or third largest department it's in the country. Largest, right? Yeah.
1: Yeah. Third so- largest.
0: You know, but I have to think, though, that the volunteer department laid that foundation. The um, the Nebraska job was your next step up in your evolution mm-hmm. into the fire service. But there's got to be some incredible experiences there, too. No.
1: Oh, no doubt. No doubt. The, the Like I said, the foundations that were set early on for me is truly what set me up through through my entire career. And really, I can take it back to two individuals at my volunteer department, both of these guys. They were lieutenants at the volunteer place. Uh, they were career elsewhere, but would spend their time at the volunteer job. And, you know, they may have just come off a 48-hour shift, but when they were at the volunteer house with guys who were just trying to learn, they gave them all the time and opportunity to do so. So there was there was no slacking off. It wasn't just sitting around the kitchen table, jaw jacking with some coffee. It was getting right. out, doing forcible entry, throwing ladders in the territory, learning, you know, the where you were at in in your territory yeah. all of those things they they fully laid that foundation for me and then things like running into the fools along the way and just different mentors if I truly was able to try to list out the number of people who have had an influence on my career we're in the hundreds at this point
0: oh I'm and, sure and I, I believe that to, I believe every bit of that out, absolutely literally
1: we're in the hundreds at this point of people who have
0: made me who I am now yeah, and as you pushed, right? So I mean you mentioned Houston. So you're looking for that that next step, right? That that bigger mm-hmm. city rush, that more opportunity to to better your game, right? right. The opportunity to go right. to more fires, to push yourself. That's what I love and that's where I was kind of headed with the with the transition here is because in a bigger city you go from small town to big city. That's mm-hmm. a cultural shock overnight.
1: It certainly was. It certainly was. And the good thing about the fire service is you have such small communities, which is within each firehouse, that you right. find a place pretty quickly. Whenever you're you're an individual tr- who's driven um, and motivated, I, f- I feel like most of the time that's the case. When you show that you're putting forth an effort to to love the job and do the job well, I think others respect that, and so. Even though a department seems huge and overwhelming, that that tight knit community that you get in every firehouse is really what makes people fall in love with this job.
0: Plus, it gives you the opportunity. Four thousand or
1: fifteen, you you can love it either way.
0: Yeah, and it gives you the opportunity to find a house that suits your push, your drive, Mm -hmm. the type of firefighter you are. Absolutely. Yeah,
1: and I I found that house right away in Houston, and I know that you've had the opportunity to visit that house personally. Fire Station 68 was yeah. was my introduction to the Houston Fire Department. I got to spend a year at that firehouse uh, fresh off of probation. Not a
0: bad place to start.
1: You met my officers. You yep. know, I, I didn't have Chief Mo Davis at the time. We had an interim chief, but, uh, you know, Captain Schroeder, yes. Captain Mario, like okay. those guys were the ones who really showed me what the Houston Fire Department was and really just drove home like we will be aggressive. We will do everything in our power uh, to be excellent firemen. And I got to do that on both an engine and a truck, uh, because that's just how Houston does it. And, and it was amazing to have that opportunity and lay that foundation that, you know, it, it's not all that important to be a fan, phenomenal engine firefighter if you can't do it on, on the other side as well. And, and again, that goes back to just being an asset, regardless of the position that I'm in, I want to be in a position where I influence the team in a positive way.
0: Oh, I love that. And and I, I will tell you, you're right. I mean, I we have become uh, you know, National Fire Radio, myself and Rob and the crew, we've gotten to know 68s pretty well. Um, you know, Captain Schroeder, Captain Mario, and Chief Davis. I mean, we've got we've been there, we've had dinner there, we've broken bread with them. The conversations we had, we had a younger guy with us uh who was who works on the job with Rob, and uh, he came for the trip to help us out with some of the tech stuff on the back end. Younger kid like you, he just wants to go to that next game. He wants to step up to a major <laughs> metropolitan department. He's ready to go. And he he thinks that that's the type of fire he, firefighter he wants to be. And he mm-hmm. spent the day with Captain Mario and uh, I, he was, he was smitten, man. It was, it's <laughs> infectious down there. I mean, it just, Absolutely. when you walk into a firehouse with character and people that are there solely for the right reasons i mean that what they've given back to that job and how they talk about their people and how chief davis talks about how incredible his captains are in the firehouse and and never talks about himself never talks about the department other than how good they are and the people that are there that you know push and strive to be better every day
1: i Mm -hmm. mean it's
0: an incredible experience
1: it really is and uh it certainly doesn't uh hurt that they go to so many jobs uh, that's it Uh I, I want to say that like in my first year of probation, I got to, to go to 30 some working fires and, and I don't have it written down specifically, but I would guess that at least 12 of them were multiple alarm fires in these big multifamilies. And it, it really is trial by fire at that point where like you get to experience what everybody is talking about and yeah, yeah. you get to live that out and doing it with such frequency at that firehouse uh man how could you not be excited to go to work every single day well that's what i was just
0: gonna say to you i mean you know that is and they, and they work uh they work uh you know kind of a crazy schedule and mm-hmm. uh and so on you're spending a lot of time in the firehouse with with the same crews over and over and they do go to a lot of work i mean it it has to be a joy to be able to look back from a few years ago to see that foundation that keeps building in that next block for you as you pursue your career
1: no doubt, no doubt. It, I I can't say enough that I'm not where I am today without the help of of so many people, so yeah. many people, and mentors change over time. Um, I my greatest mentor right now, and and the one who has probably given me the most opportunity lately is is Brian Brush. Right. Um, but even going back to the two lieutenants that I mentioned earlier, Kevin Fields and Matt Hawkins, like. I'm not the firefighter without them. And it, it instills in me every single time I get to go out and train with other individuals that I need to be willing to pass along the, the same stuff that guys were so willing to do for me. Um, and really, it, it, and this is kind of a sidebar as well. So I mentioned the fools early on, I went to a couple of international fools conventions and it, one of them in Louisiana Shreveport I had the opportunity to sit down with uh, Captain Mark Von Hoppen out of Palo Alto, California. Right, and right. he was really the first person where I got to spend two hours with this guy, just, you know, chatting about the fire service, chatting about writing and getting out there. And and this at this time, I was doing some of the blogging. I hadn't had any articles published or anything like that. But it was incredibly motivating to see this, you know, quote unquote, fire service hero give you their time and, you know, just... It show you that they care as much about you as, as you care about them. And, and I try to take that with me everywhere I go along the way as well. So
0: it's a hell of a uh, commitment though. So many
1: experiences, you know, that, that have led to, to where I'm at. How did
0: you, how did you realize that you wanted to do, I mean, obviously your foundation had a lot to do with it and, and the, the personal push for success Mm -hmm. in your own, you know, life and, and career, but, you know, to put yourself out there a little bit, to start writing, to put yourself out there to start. I watched a couple of YouTube videos of you talking mm-hmm. about, um, you know, different folds and different edge company packages. Right. And I think you were still in Houston at the time when you I, were.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I was still in Houston. And so really where that came from is, so I, I had this amazing experience at fire station 68, uh, my probationary year ended and there wasn't a hole for me at that firehouse. Um, there's some phenomenal firefighters who who were there at the time. None of them were looking to leave. Right. And so, you know, my my career had to, to change paths and I had to go to another firehouse. And I found myself again on the southwest side, so not too far away from 68s, but a a little bit different culture at that firehouse, where you had uh, you know guys with you know 20, 30 years on, kind of getting towards the end of their career, weren't nearly motivated at the same level that you know I was experiencing there at 68s, and I recognized that I had to take some accountability for myself there because I wasn't getting it from the crew like I was at another firehouse, and that's really where a lot of you know, that, that writing came from, and some of those videos was, this is how I can stay on my game, and it was a measure of accountability that I wasn't getting from the guys that I was working with, because they weren't motivated the same way, so uh, I, I, I am not one to shy away from people telling me that I'm doing it wrong, and I found that through putting out writing, through trying to, to do things better, that, there would people be people not only to encourage me, but also to you know check me as well. And if I'm putting it out there that you know like you need to stretch hose a certain way, or you need to force doors or gates a certain way, if I'm not living that out on a daily basis as I go, you know to the firehouse every single day, then my words are nil. You know, right. so it, it truly has been a measure of accountability for me personally too walk what i'm talking along the way Uh, whether that's through written word or getting up in front of a, a group of people and talking or traveling it it doesn't matter that that really makes me a better firefighter and makes makes me be accountable to to the things that i'm trying to preach
0: i love that i mean i i find myself and that's a struggle with myself is that you know for the last few years doing what we do and preaching culture and tradition we shy away from the training aspect there's plenty of guys with stronger pedigrees like yourself and, and the rest of the, the crews out there that, that teach the, the training aspect. But when you start talking about the common good of the fire service, the brotherhood, the culture, the traditions, and all that, I find that it holds me more accountable now more than ever because if I'm going to talk about it, I better, I better freaking live it up. You know, I better represent mm-hmm. what we talk about. And that is a struggle at times, you know, and I'm sure you probably feel that at times too, that you feel like maybe you should be doing more. Or maybe I need some downtime to reset, and, and it doesn't represent who I am today, but I'm back at it tomorrow type thing. But for you to put yourself out there, you're in a big department. You got you moved to a different company. The, the mm-hmm. views and values might have been a little bit different than what you were accustomed to, and to hold yourself accountable, you started putting it out there. But I have to think that was not an easy choice for you to be public about that, No. Uh, You know,
1: it it is something that you really have to consider, like, what are my motives behind this? And one of the driving forces was a Mayday fire that I was on, where I didn't feel like things went well at all. And in my being upset, I I wrote a blog post about it regarding ground ladders and how we were stuck on the second floor. We we had a, a collapse on the second floor and there was literally not a ground ladder to be seen to help get us out of that predicament and and it came from a it came from a place of of being upset with what happened on that fireground but the reality is is for me to to go online and bash somebody about that is not the appropriate way right, to handle right. that by any means. Right, and right. so it, it had to be, okay, so what am I trying to accomplish in, in putting myself out there? And really, it was, it was a place for me to put down my thoughts. That, that was all it was. It wasn't to get any notoriety. It wasn't to get any followership, anything like that. And when I first started blogging, there was no followership. It, it was just an opportunity for me to put down some thoughts, but all yeah, when, when you put yourself out there, you really have to understand like, what is my purpose in doing this? And you know, if it's not to please people in, in many positions, you know, because you're not going to be able to please everybody, but it is to, to have this gut check and say, am I doing this for the right motives? Certainly.
0: Yeah. So, okay. So Houston, I mean, you're, you're in it, man. You're knee deep in fire. You're, you are getting, um, you moved from 68. You went to your next house after probation. I mean, how long were you in Houston before life took another turn for you? Uh, I,
1: I was really starting to think about my career there at about five years in, I would say. Okay. And that was a cultural shift across the entire fire department. Uh, I'll be honest where, uh, politically, it is a very rough place to be a firefighter. And there's yeah. um, there's no denying that nationwide. It, people have heard about the the woes and the troubles that the Houston Fire Department has gone through. Right. But what yeah. it really came down to for me was that city seemed to make it clear that they didn't care as much about their fire department as uh, a politician might say, you know, on, sure. on a 9-11 speech or something like that. And it it was questioning with my wife, like, okay, so if something truly were to happen right now to me, would my family be taken care of? And the reality was, is uh, they weren't going to be taken care of as well as I wanted them to be. And that had to do with our wages at the time. It had to do with how they were handling workman's comp claims and denying everybody's cancer claims across the board. Uh, You saw guys dying while they were just fighting for benefits for their families. And uh, that just didn't sit well with me. And that's really when I started to question, you know, if if Houston was going to be my long term home. And when I first got hired, it absolutely was going to be I saw nothing else in my future other than being a Houston firefighter. But, uh, you know, along the way, God had different things in mind for me, my, my wife and I really discussed, you know, what does our future look like? And uh, that took me back home to, to what I said was my dream department all along and here in
0: Denver. So yeah. Nice. How was, how was the, the, how was the adjustment from Colorado to Texas? And then the adjustment from Texas back to Colorado. I mean that. So
1: I, I got my college degree in Dallas, Texas, and I oh, okay. fell in love with it. Um, it. I fell in love with Texas. I really did. And the thing I love about Texas is how much Texas loves Texas.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, if you've ever met somebody
1: from there, you'll know what I'm talking about. And they, there's something to you that. There's just so much pride there and, uh, they care, you know, so, yeah. so that was infectious, you know, yeah. but, uh, I grew up here in Colorado, and Colorado pretty much always felt like home. Especially when I was in Nebraska, I never reclaimed that as home. I was still just two hour drive away or a three hour drive away. So we were back here pretty much every right. weekend. Um, so yeah, this was home, and having the opportunity to raise my family in the mountains and getting out and enjoying um, just the lifestyle that this this outdoors you know haven is in Colorado is something that I wasn't able to give my kids down there.
0: Yeah. And and talk about that a little bit, because I know, I mean, to make that move back to Colorado and to end up in Denver, where ultimately you said was, was something that was certainly on your radar, your family is, and you just alluded to it is so important in your decision-making that, you know, Houston mm-hmm. might not have been the best place to um, be able to take care of your family or mm-hmm. to uh, represent you in the job as well as it should have. And so How important is family to you? I mean, I know it's important, obviously, but they're, they're a massive driving force behind everything that you do, no?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So my wife is a stay at home mom. Um, and that's done intentionally. You know, we, we, make and made the choice to homeschool our kids again, very intentionally. And that wasn't necessarily something that we were ready to jump into pre COVID. But you know, that COVID was just like the best excuse ever for us to to make sure. that move. And just being here to be able to, to see my girls grow up to encourage them in their education, uh, to just enjoy everything that that it means to be a family is is phenomenal. And I feel like homeschooling has really opened the door for that uh, for us where, you know what, if we want to go to the zoo today, instead of, you know, sitting down and staring at a math book or, you know, waiting until three o'clock and having to sit in that car line, that's all time wasted, you know, where we get to, you know, just enjoy being together. uh, We have so much more opportunity to do that now. Um, and I'm working less than I did in Houston. Uh, I mentioned the wages. So the whole yep. time that I was a full-time firefighter down there, I was also a part-time firefighter at two different fire departments while I was, was down there as well. Everybody had a side job in that yep. city. So, you know, it wasn't at all uncommon for me to spend hundred hours a week, you know, either, you know at the firehouse or or hustling, doing things like hanging Christmas lights or construction or whatever it might be. Sure. And, you know, getting to come here at my, my calendar has opened up so much more than it ever did down there. And, uh, being able to do that for my family has been huge.
0: I bet. And that's probably allowed you then it frees up some time, right? Compared to your your, your Texas, your Texas journey to your Colorado journey, but then that allows you now to to really dive into the passion that you have. Right. And that's the training aspect, right? It does. It
1: does. Uh, my calendar has definitely opened up to, to allow me to do a little bit of traveling. And, and last year it was about once a month, I was able to, uh, to get out and enjoy what this fire service has to offer. And, and really what that is for me, that, that drives that passion is the hands-on trainings. You know, getting out and getting to put in sweat equity and, and work with brothers from all around the country. There's, there's nothing more exciting about that. And you get to just take that fuel and take it back with you every single day to the firehouse. And again, I mentioned that accountability. Like if I want to be good in those hot classes and being able to, to pass along some kind of nugget that'll help somebody in their career, I better be living that every single day at the firehouse, trying to, to learn and better myself while, while I'm here back home as well.
0: Yeah, that's fun. I mean, you get so fired up. I was just at the Joey DiBernardo training weekend at Long Island this past weekend with a bunch of incredible instructors from all over the country. And I mean, you want to talk about just passion and people that are there for the right reasons. And and the the rejuvenation you feel when you come back from a weekend like that is just um, it's hard to describe, you know, but I think you bring that home, too. I mean, I. You mentioned your family. You talked about homeschool. My wife would homeschool our kids in a heartbeat if she could, um, but you know she works part time as it is. But you know my kids are now in going into high school. I have eighth grade and freshman at home. My two other kids are already out of the house, and uh, and so on. And she she loves it. She loves everything about the idea and the concept of it. It's just the high school. She, my kids are like, nope, we're going to high school, and <laughs> uh, and so on. But you know it's it's fun. I think though too. I know how much my wife and kids fuel me to be good at what I do and Mm -hmm. they fuel me to want to be better. And Mm -hmm. so um, I recognize that in you because everything that I've read, everything that I've seen about you on other podcasts and blogs and so on is you have quite an incredible passion, but you're very dialed in and articulate in your delivery. And I Mm -hmm. think you're, you're well-educated and versed in what you talk about, which I think is so important. And so, maybe expand on that a little bit. I mean, when you start getting into the realm of teaching, um, working with Fire by Trade, or sharing your thoughts and insights on your blog page, what does that mean for you? What, what are you feeling when you do that?
1: So, I, I recognized later on in my career, I guess, that the foundation that something like a, a Firefighter One Academy is going to give you isn't everything that you need to be successful. That's just the reality of it. So, uh, And I, I can't speak for every single academy in this country, because I'm sure there's phenomenal ones out there. But I would say the majority of them are just trying to teach you to be book smart real quick and get you just enough so that you don't kill yourself on your first day at the firehouse. But for some people, it stops there. And for me, it certainly didn't. And really what drove that is the fact that I'm not as physically capable of doing this job as, as other guys are, you know, I, I wasn't the division one athlete, I wasn't the, the army ranger that some of these guys are coming right. into the fire service you know, and I recognize the value that diving into the nuts and bolts of this job did for me personally recognizing that, you know, and I, I, have a funny experience with this. So, uh, I, I was on probation here at Denver and I was tasked with teaching the Denver SWAT team how to handle a hose line because we had an incident here where there was an active shooter involved right. with a fire at the same time. They went to cross train a little bit and you see these dudes who are like 250 pounds and just yoked, you know, trying to hold on to a hose line and get blown off of an inch and three quarter. And it just makes you smile as somebody who's, you know, a small dude overall, but you recognize I've got the technique. That's right. And I've got it dialed in. And those little things are what add up to, to being successful in that. And so recognizing that within myself and wanting to pass that along to other people is really what drives me as I I go out and I instruct. And it also is, is something that I look for every single time I'm trying to learn a new skill as well. So if if I want to go out and throw a 35-foot ladder by myself today. I'm not going to have the same success as somebody who's six, four and 200 pounds, you know? And so there are intricacies that have to be involved in that in order for, for that to be a successful evolution. And obviously we wanted to go so far beyond just the drill ground. We wanted to, you know, come into play immediately under those high stress environments that the, the actual fire ground is. And that's that driving force for me really is. I want to be successful when somebody calls upon us in that moment of need.
0: Yeah, and I love, I have a couple notes here just from things that I've read and and heard, and I have smarter, not harder technique versus strength and brute force.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. (laughs) It wins every time. Um, There's definitely dudes who are just, you know, monsters. You know, they can get it done regardless of the technique, regardless of, you know, the weight or the task put in front of them, but I'm not one of them. Uh, But I want to be able to accomplish the task in the same way that that dude does, I I don't want it to be a situation where the chief looks at two guys and says, well, I got to take him because Brumley Brumley can't do it. I know that. No, I want to be able to, to be called upon the same way that, you know, somebody who is a little bit more gifted physically is capable of doing as well. And so, um, you know, it it takes more time. It takes more technique and uh, I'm willing to take that time.
0: Does that have to do with your love for engine company work? Because you do typically talk a lot about, Engine company, hose, flow and move, right? Nozzle absolutely, packages, absolutely. hose, so, attack packages.
1: It, that's absolutely where that comes from. And it's, it's funny, going back to day one in the Houston Fire Academy, they, they asked, you know, why are you here? And I raised my hand, and I'm like, I want to be a big city truckie, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, how naive I was. Okay, you know? sure. <laughs> how naive I was. Uh, but really, what what hit it home for me is is taking a couple of classes, traveling along. And at this time, uh, I was absolutely a student, new to the game, just trying to figure things out. And in two classes that really hit home for me was one of Brian Brush's classes, and then also uh, taking the nozzle forward and recognizing how those instructors broke it down into such minute details. Yeah, where it wasn't just okay, just you know, hold the hose, open the line no, this is how you position your body. This is how you position your toes. This is how you position your palms. Like all of those little things that you don't even know to think of along the way were what added up to to major successes for me. And it really was me just going back to the firehouse and spending hours and hours flowing thousands and thousands of gallons of water um, that that made it click for me. And because I, I kind of got that first uh, my passion for for engine work just went through the warp, through the roof
0: yeah you know and
1: and it's not to say that i couldn't get that from a particular ladder class or forcible entry class or something like that but that was just what clicked first for me
0: i had never so uh about a month ago i was a part of the nozzle forward program here in new jersey um aaron fields and his crew were out here and they they did a you know they they put on their class um, I wasn't able to take it because I couldn't spend three days with them. So I was there one day, like just shooting content and hanging out and so on. And I did, a uh, the, the Friday night, like social hour with him and his crew, um, just talking shop a little bit and so on. But as an outsider watching it, I'm excited to take the class. I think I'm taking it in December. Um, and as an outsider watching, I was shocked by how much it was all, how it's all about technique. And Absolutely From the littlest from the littlest things of how you place your palm to putting pressure against the line against your hip, right And I know there's there's a lot of back and forth about you know their processes and, and moving and flowing, how they do and so on. But at the end of the day, in 26 years in the American Fire Service, I was never taught the intricacies of how technique mattered in moving a line. I'm a big guy, mm-hmm. we move lines. And, uh, you know, and so on. And I'm that guy that you're talking about that's like, uh, you want me or you want the big guy, right? Like, who are you going to pick? And yeah. And so for me, that was really eye-opening because I was watching smaller guys manipulate these lines very easily. um, And it was all done through technique. And I I think there's something to be said for that. How do we spread that message? How do we get people away from, you know, because here's the thing. At the end of the day, right, I, I got a note here and it says... I get the job done. Why change? Mm-hmm. Right. I'm a big guy. I've been stretching a line for 25 years. Like I know how to stretch an inch into three quarter line. I can stretch it two and a half. We can put water on a fire. The fire is going to go out. Right. Right. Why do we, or how do we get that conversation to have people open up their minds just a little bit more that the job might just be a little bit easier or that attack package you have with some more knowledge and understanding. Right. Because I, I truly think that, most of the people in the fire service have no idea about their attack packages and what they can do for them and what, they, what it doesn't do for them and so on. How do we get that conversation going and how do we educate on a bigger scale? It's a tough question. Yeah.
1: It, it really is a tough question. And for me, uh, there has to be intentionality in everything that we do. And yes, there's some end goals, but at it, it, the same time, you still have to be personable with the people that, that you're involved with. And so it's it's never a matter of you know trying to put anybody down because of what they can or can't do. And uh, it, it's always done through a sense of, okay, so how can we be better for the people who have you know tasked us with doing this job? How can we serve our citizens better? How can we be more? Judicious with the the money that the people are giving us to do this job, you know. Yeah. And and for me, uh, I I don't think there's anybody out there who would say I want to suck more at this job. <laughs> and so taking right. little steps along the way to show them how, you know, what you're you're accomplishing the task right now. We we can recognize that, but what else can we get you to accomplish? And right. can we get you to accomplish it? Just a little bit faster. And these are the reasons why it's important for you to do it faster. And you know, these are, you know, the, the little pieces of academia uh, through UL studies or whatever it may be, or the fire rescue survey that's showing the importance of let's do the job, let's do it faster, and let's do it with more intentionality and that equates to lives saved it equates to property saved all of those things and uh, you know nobody wants to suck nobody wants to see more houses burn to the foundation we all want to do the job better and taking just those little steps along the way and being intentional with it i think makes I, makes a huge difference yeah
0: and i think now too more than ever i think the job is more open to understanding more now than it ever was mm-hmm. right i think that that theory and technique are equally as important as rolling up your sleeves cigarette hanging out of your mouth badass fireman right that we're mm-hmm. so accustomed to and the nostalgia of it in the fire service this is what we all want to be, yet the job is changing and evolving to where theory matters where education matters where mm-hmm. understanding concept and delivery matters. Right. And
1: one example of this. So early in my fire service career, and you mentioned people not understanding their attack packages. And, you know, I raised my hand with that. Like I was one of those people. Sure. And I thought the argument early on truly was, you know, smoothbore versus fog. Right. On on hand lines. And, yeah, that's part of the argument. But diving into some of the, the academia of this and diving into you know some of the hands-on training, you, you quickly recognize that the conversation isn't necessarily any more fog versus smoothbore as, as much as it is high pressure versus low pressure attack packages. And when I saw that open up, to me i recognize right away if i can put these phenomenal attack packages in the hands of those individuals who have been naysayers along the way like if i can just get them to spend 10 minutes with me you know going through a, a quick evolution it's undeniable you know when you put the supreme attack package on there and Uh, again, I'm not arguing smooth board versus fog. I'm arguing something like high pressure versus low pressure. Not only are they, you know, able to move that line around significantly better, they're able to do it with significantly less effort. And that puts a smile on everybody's face. hundred percent. And the, the trick there is, is just, you know, getting them you know, out of the recliner or where they're at at the time and, and, you know, putting it in their hands. And once you put it in their hands, it becomes undeniable.
0: When you can do the side by side, I've been there and I've seen it and you do the side by side and, and you give them the existing package and then you put together a paired line and nozzle package. The, it's, it's like night and day, right? A lot of it times, really is. a it lot really of times is. for sure talk to me about the Denver culture. Um, I remember, uh, not too long ago, Chris Martin from Elkhart was posting hose bed pics of different engine companies around, around Denver. Right. And, yeah, uh, and this, yeah. I didn't think about this until just now. Right. So, and I remember that it got a lot of play on Elkhart's page, um, looking at the different setups on the engine, which I think is fun and unique is that, you know, Denver is the type of town just from looking at those types of pictures right? That hose bed porn, if you will, that you allow each neighborhood to set up for success based upon their stretch, their makeup, their demographics and, and how they operate. Right. So it yeah. seems like Denver has a pretty good engine company, uh, culture, if you will talk to me about that. I would say
1: they have a phenomenal engine company culture and there's definitely some, some people along the way who are the reasons why that is, uh, now, uh, Man, I'm trying to think of his official title, but we call him a super chief. You know, the and his name is uh, Chief Shepard. Right. Um, and then we've got assistant chief Dave McGrail. Like yep. those are the people who kind of laid the foundation of being. You know phenomenal in engine work. So when you have those people to look up to and and those people who have laid the groundwork in that fire department, you want to continue that as well. And I came from a department in Houston fire where standardization was the name of the game and what ended up happening in that regard is, you have companies running the exact same hose loads who are running on, you know three to four story multifamilies that are running on single family dwellings that are only 800 square foot running the same hose loads in a high rise. And you recognize really quickly that this doesn't work the same way that we expect it to. Now, the benefit is, is that, you know, if I work on engine 73 completely far on the Southeast side, and I have to drive an hour and a half to, um, you know, tower, you know, six or, you know, engine thirty-four, like all of these things, like I have an idea of what's going on, but the reality is is it takes away the thinking from the firefighter in that regard. Right. It doesn't right. It, you have one play in the playbook. When that happens and thankfully in the engine culture that we have in Denver, the chiefs have allowed us the opportunity to be thinking firefighters and I really appreciate that because my stretch is going to look significantly different if I'm going vertical than if I'm going long distances, than if I'm going in just you know your typical run of the mill 1600 square foot home. All of those stretches are going to look slightly different my hose line sizes are going to change all of those things. And when I have the freedom in my hose bed to adapt to the actual place that I'm working and operating in and out of on a daily basis, that's phenomenal. And then me as a, an engine firefighter, that gets me excited too, that I can go to, you know, another engine company across town, see a slightly different look from their hose bed. But that gives me the opportunity to have that conversation with yeah. the guys. there. like, Hey, why do you do what you do?
0: What, yeah. what little
1: trick do you guys know that I don't? that causes you to, to run this particular host style. Um, and I, I understand why people want to have uh, a, a common look out of all of their fire apparatus, whether it's on the truck side or the engine side. It, it makes it easy for that guy who's just there for one day or, or one week, whatever it might be. But the reality is is you're telling that guy that it's okay not to think on every situation because we're gonna try to dummy proof this for you. I would rather have firefighters who could look at a hose bed and understand why it's loaded a particular way. 100%. Recognize that my stretch is going to be completely different in this side of town because I'm looking at a different building type. I would much rather that than have somebody get jammed up because he's used to one look and one look only.
0: Yeah. I, I couldn't agree with you more Jonathan. I mean, I, I just think that that is spot on. We want independent thinkers, right? I mean, you got to be collective for the team and the mission of the engine is to get the nozzle in place and get water on the fire. Right. But at the end of the day, if we can do that in a better way um, to reflect where we are and how we respond, I mean, that's, that's a Mm -hmm. no brainer. When we take that, we standardize across the board. I think it sets us up for, you know, mediocrity. It sets Mm -hmm. us up for, um, I don't know, kind of just complacency. And it doesn't instill values into your own people to want to be better. Mm Mm-hmm. It, it,
1: definitely, it definitely keeps people accountable when you allow for a little bit of differences in your hose bed or allow for a little bit of differences in, in the tools that you carry on your truck. Um, there's a specific reason why those companies are doing it. And it's up to the individual firefighters who go into those companies to have that conversation. Uh, And what I found is I learned so much in those, you know, morning rig checks where, you know, what I could be sitting down at the kitchen table, just having a cup of Joe with some brothers that I don't see all that often, or I could be learning something new. And I would much rather be out there understanding why they do what they do and seeing how I can apply that. Uh, in my own firehouse on a daily basis as well.
0: And that is that culture that I think everybody's looking for. There's so many people that are stuck in in cultures and fire companies that they're just, they feel stuck. And um, to be able to surround yourself with people that push you, people that believe in the same mission forward, right? I mean, I I just, I I think that's, uh, that makes your day that much better. It makes your job Mm -hmm. that much better. And it makes you that much better. What about your peers? You know, you've been doing this a while now. You have a name that is recognized on, you know, the larger platforms. Now, you know, you're, you're teaching and instructing at FDIC. What does that do to you at your job? I mean, is that, does that become part of the conversation? Um, Do, are you looked at to, you know, are you the guy that when somebody gets relocated for a 24 at your firehouse that you're out on the floor, telling them about your hose package, telling them about why you stretch the way you do in your district? Um, (laughs) so
1: it's interesting inside of your own fire department, you're you're out there and doing things. Uh, I want to be the type of person who's an asset. And so when I walk into that firehouse, I, I want to be seen as such, and I could care less if my name's attached to it. You know, it, it doesn't matter to me in that regard. I just want to see that when I go into that firehouse, the guys can can recognize that I'm there to be a part of the team and I'm there to help in whatever sure, way sure. possible. And I, I feel like I try to take that approach. I'm, I'm not the type to to walk into a firehouse and look at a hose load and say, you know what? Y'all are doing it wrong. No, actually, <laughs> you know? yeah, that's not where and, I was
0: headed with that. And, no. right.
1: and my, my goal in that, though, is to have a conversation throughout the day. Like I said, Hey, why, do you, why do you have it loaded that particular direction? And, you know, there's times where it's pretty evident that, you know, they, they may be wrong <laughs> in my opinion, sure. you know, but that does give us an opportunity to say, Hey, uh, Hey LT, do you mind if we, you know, go out to, to one of these houses in your district, just go through a stretch real quick. I'm not as familiar with this as you guys and, and, you know, get in some reps with what they're doing. And then that opens some doors for so many more conversations, uh, both in my favor and a lot of times out of my favor as well, because I am totally willing to, you know, eat some crow and understand 100%, that, oh, 100%. in this situation,
0: y'all are, y'all are dialed in. That's pretty good. And, awesome. and, and that's kind of what I didn't mean to put you on the spot. I wasn't putting you on the spot with that question. It was more about, you know, I think that if, if a guy walks in the door, you're probably one of the first ones out of the chair, always on the go saying, let me show you this, let me teach you, you know, and so on. Mm-hmm. I think that that's important. I know that you're absolutely from the beginning of this episode, you've been talking about the importance of being part of the team and, and being instrumental in that. But, you know, mm-hmm. you also too have an incredible wealth of knowledge and uh, uh, partnerships, if you will, with, with big names in the industry that have so much to offer. And so mm-hmm. I find you to be a tremendous wealth of knowledge and, and where you can, pass on different messages or different things that you see that you've probably see more than the average guy because you're out on that circuit training and, and absorbing as much as you can, just like you're teaching, you're also absorbing.
1: Yeah, abs- absolutely. And um, there have absolutely been times where I walk into a firehouse and, uh, you know, they'll, they'll ask me about, you know, yeah. what, i've heard about you man what what is it that you do and a lot of times it's like oh man do you teach nozzle ford? no i don't teach nozzle board <laughs> but uh you know i get to travel a little bit and talk about engine stuff and and that may open the door for me to opening up you know my fdc fdic class and going through it with that particular yeah. crew and um you know it, it opens those doors and i i really love that about it and there's certainly times where i don't have answers and you mentioned the the group of people who i i could you know, call up and get those answers from. And so, um, it's, it's cool to be a resource and and sometimes it's just being the middleman in that regard where, you know what, I, I might not have your answer, but you know what, there's this guy, Dennis LaGear across the country who, who's got your answer. Let me hit him up real quick and and get that info for you. Or Daryl Liggins or Steve Robertson, Ray McCormick, Kurt Isaacs, any of these guys, you know, who, uh, the fire service is looking to these days is, you know, uh, great guys in the engine realm um, it, it's certainly awesome to to be able to point people into the, the direction of the answer um in those times where I don't have it and and I truly enjoy that because again it it keeps me motivated it keeps me on my toes because if somebody wants to challenge a particular position than I have then you know I I better have you know put through the paces through training or whatever it may be to decide why, why that position is, is good or not good um, to kind of combat those arguments. And, and again, I hope that it always goes back to us going out, putting some water in some lines and putting the hands in the lines of both of us so that we can really hash this thing out in a way that is actually productive as opposed to just jawjacking our position.
0: Yeah, for sure. I get that. I get it completely. Influence of your peers. You just talked about it a little bit, right? To be able <laughs> to, what it is. <clears throat> So a side story, right? You and I met, we had chatted once or twice, but we met at FDIC this past year. Um, mm-hmm. You shared with me, that was your first uh, experience at FDIC. It was. Talk about that a little bit, because I've been there a couple of times now and um, the training is obviously top shelf, but talk to me and, and, and let's chat about how important the camaraderie is the, the meeting you know, meeting, putting faces to the names, being able to shake a hand and and have a conversation. Mm -hmm. Um, Talk to me about what that experience was for you this past year. Uh,
1: In a place like that, you
0: recognize
1: how big and how small the fire service is at the same time. You can't have, you know, 20,000 people come to one place and not recognize that, wow, this is uh, this is overwhelming at times, but also at the same time, these people are just like me. You know, they just want to do better than than they were yesterday, tomorrow, and uh, they have the same drive and passion as well. And and it's easy to. You know, get in arguments on social media with people who you've never met before or disagree with a position based on a a single sentence or paragraph or something that you've seen along the way. Uh, But truly getting to be face to face with these individuals, uh, you recognize that you're so much more alike than you are apart. Your goals are so much more similar than you ever thought they would. Um, and so to have that experience for the first time for me this last year was was absolutely incredible to to walk into a room and and not even know who to talk to because there's so many people that you want to talk
0: to 100 um, percent
1: that that's a pretty cool experience because um, you know what the, the reality is is it doesn't even have to be FDIC um, it could be some of these smaller conferences it could just be you know oh, without a doubt a, a fool's group puts on um, on a weekend They're as you travel, your your world becomes significantly smaller. You find that you have so many more people that you can rely on, um, and they certainly don't have to be names that you recognize. Um, I've got so many friends that I see, you know, when I travel down to Texas that that I'd never worked with, um, but I was familiar with, and just getting to see them again um, and being able to chat about the the common goals that we have for our each each of our individual fire departments and what we're trying to achieve that's so motivating. Um, To just see guys who are passionate and who want to be there to learn. and uh, Really, when I started going to classes outside of my own fire department is when I recognized how much better I could be as a firefighter and how much higher the bar was set. Than that first academy experience or even higher than what was expected from me on a day-to-day basis from my lieutenant or my chief whatever it might be that bar is actually pretty low compared to the american fire service and when you get outside of your little bubble you recognize wow i've got a long way to go to be on the the same playing field that some of these dudes are and um when you recognize that, uh, you never run about out of things to do <laughs> at the firehouse. Well, 100%. percent always and that, got something to do.
0: You said a word that strikes a chord with me is motivation.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Too often, people struggle with motivation. Too often, their, their, their own self-reflection uh, and motivation of what they want to give back suffers, whether it's at the hand of somebody else or they just lack the desire to push forward. You Mm -mm. talked about, you know, meeting, knowing these peers of yours and they are a big force in motivating you to be better.
1: It is, but it it has to be a personal thing. And what I hope people recognize is that motivation and drive and passion really start by making habitual changes and doing little things every single day. Um, so whether that's, you know putting on your air pack and your uh your helmet your your hood everything like that to to mask up in the morning rather than just turning the bottle on in the the jump seat or you know gearing up putting your your gear on to go climb stairs or just do step ups if you don't even have stairs right at your firehouse uh for 15 minutes whatever it might be like those are the little things that you can do on a daily basis, and if if those are your non-negotiables, you're raising the bar every single day. And so when it comes to doing these what seem like overwhelming tasks at times on the, the fire ground, no big deal because I've taken so many steps along the way, and these are a matter of habit in my day-to-day walk at the firehouse. They, it becomes less and less of a, a burden when you're actually tasked with those things. So, uh, hopefully, people recognize that it, it takes a huge measure of accountability. But when you see little successes along the way, that just drives the motivation even more to to push that ball further.
0: I love that. I mean, you know, it's uh, accountability is is a word that's lacking these days, and the follow through of it um, is uh, is certainly evident uh, across the board just not just in the fire service but everywhere today is people holding themselves accountable for their actions and, and how they perform so i agree mm-hmm. with you 100 percent, man so let's hop into it you got uh, you're doing your class again this year at fdic um mm-hmm. attack of the two and a half hosts a case for the bigger hand line um we talked about the importance of nozzle packages and and educating our peers about the importance of that Give me a little bit of a summary. I mean, I could read the summary, but I'd rather hear it from you. Tell me about the class and tell me what it, what comes to the table with it.
1: Gosh, gotcha. so I, I tell people this a lot. That, that class totally came out of my failures, my personal shortcomings. And really, I was, I was fearful of the two and a half. And that was kind of how it was presented to me in Fire Academy day one, where it was this line that was going to overwhelm certainly one company, if not multiple companies, and that it was just going to be a struggle every single time that line came off of the rig. And because of that, I I recognized that that was an area that I knew very little about. I started traveling and and taking classes from uh, specifically guys like Brian Brush, Aaron Fields. And when I figured out more of the nuts and bolts of it and why guys are able to to make that line so much easier than my first experiences Um, I really started compiling that information and so it was a matter of of taking pieces of work from guys like Dennis Laguerre, Brian Brush, Aaron Fields, Gary Lane like all of these people and trying to keep it in one place and really where it started was just a place where I could reference and over time I recognized oh man like this is kind of cool that I have this huge resource regarding the two and a half. And uh, it it turned into a class and I started sharing that a little bit more locally and it it ended up expanding to to be nationally as well. Uh, But really my goal with that is, is to get people comfortable with their bigger handlines, recognizing what it takes to make a successful attack package and a successful attack with the two and a half, recognizing that we don't have to have 10, 10 guys on a single hand line in order to make this a mobile fire attack option and really if you have two or three well-trained guys who who spend a little bit of time with it you can absolutely be successful and make this a mobile line that you can take interior on fire and I really dive into the nuts and bolts of how that works and what it takes to be successful with it
0: I love that and I I, I'm I'd love to sit in and I'm, I'm hoping to uh, be able to do that when I'm out there because one, the two and a half, that's a defensive line. That's a defensive yeah. line. Two, yeah. two, nobody wants to pull it. We'd rather pull three inch and three quarters than we would a two and a half. And right. um, you know, the intimidation factor of that line, right. You mentioned you were fearful, you know, and, and the struggle of stretching mm-hmm. that line, but I think it's intimidation. Um, it's a lack of experience and knowledge.
1: It is. is What what it truly comes down to is that's the way the people who taught us were taught and yeah. they passed that along to us, that it is something that we need to fear and that it's something that can only be used on defensive fires. But the truth is, is that, we carry you know upwards of 600 feet thousand feet of two and a half for a very specific reason and it's not just to take up a place in a hose bed it was there to be used and our predecessors knew how to use it but unfortunately along the way and i I would probably attribute this to 100 psi fog nozzles uh honestly is what caused us to really get away from that line is because Guys were getting crushed on it. Yeah, it might have worked to have that nozzle on an inch and three quarter line, but they tried to translate it over to the two and a half, and then it became a line that never came off the rig. And because you know, eighties, nineties firefighters learned how to do it a particular way, they passed that along to us that hey, this this line sucks, we can't use it anymore. Uh, but really, it, it it's going back to the roots of what our predecessors knew uh, before high pressure fog nozzles uh to to allow all of us to use this piece of equipment that we all have on our rigs already uh and there's no reason why it should sit there in times where it could be used beneficially
0: yeah let me ask you this real quick uh i don't want to give it all away but rule of thumb for the two and a half i mean what are your uh, you guys roll up in denver how do you choose your selection you got a rule of thumb uh, you know,
1: probably the greatest rule of thumb that was ever given to us was the adults acronym uh, by the FDNY and Andy Frederick specifically. Yep. And so that's what my boss uses is he's like, that's his question to himself. Is this an adults fire? That's a question that I have as a back stepper: yep. Is this an adults fire? And, and really, that's where it, it comes into play for me. And I err on the side of the bigger line. If I'm not sure if it's an adult's fire, but it could be, I'm still going to pull the two and a half because I know I'm confident with it. And the guys that I have rolling with me on the backstep are confident with it. And that comes through, through putting through some reps and it comes through putting together an attack package that makes us successful in that regard. Um, so air to the bigger side, it's always yeah. easier to drop down and go smaller. So uh, one thing that we have on our rig is a 50 foot pack of inch and three quarters. So anytime we deploy our two and a half, we're bringing that pack up with us to extend off of the nozzle so okay. maybe we get that knockdown down with the two and a half real quick and uh it wasn't the adult's fire that we thought it was man let's let's choke this thing down and use an inch and three-quarter with a 15 16th and go punch this thing in the gut and, and we'll go home yeah uh, so it, i i would suggest always airing on the side of the bigger line and then working way smaller because you can't lose if you've got the bigger weapon
0: for sure. And I, uh, but I, but I've seen you lose the other way, not you, but absolutely. Yeah.
1: You, you will lose in situations where you grab the smaller line and it's not a small line fire.
0: Yeah. I agree with you wholeheartedly. Well, let's go. I'm looking forward to it, man. I wish you tremendous success with the class and and uh, this year in April out in Indy what's next for you. I mean, how's, you know, fire by trade, you're probably traveling, traveling a bunch. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that's a super dialed in group of instructors. Um, it is, you know, is. hard work always works.
1: <laughs> I love that. Uh, I'm I'm fortunate to, to be able to work with the people that I do. And, uh, I have started to, to teach a little bit more on my own outside of the fire by trade cadre. Uh, but the reality is, is in that I get to choose who I want to bring along with. Yeah, And so it doesn't matter who I choose. A lot of times I want to learn from them. Sure. And so I'm kind of selective. And so I, I, I weave in and out of a lot of cadres uh, to just bring guys along with me who I want to learn from because I don't want to be stagnant in the things that I do. And so a lot of times that I teach, you'll see that the guys that I bring with me are going to be different each time, uh, but they're guys that I trust and guys that I know that everybody will have the opportunity to benefit from their perspective. Um, and, And I hope that guys recognize that it's not about names. It's not about cadres. It's about the information. And so that's what I truly believe in, in getting out and like teaching that. this stuff is, um, you know, trying to, to give the greatest benefit to the people who are taking their time out of their day. So I, I do have a few things, you know, lined up. I'll be in Texas a couple times in uh, 2020. Uh, North Florida Fire Expo uh, is coming up in Fort Walton Beach, FDIC. So uh, I, I've been blessed in some incredible ways uh, to, to get out and do what I love doing. Um, I just recently built another class and it, it centers around a similar topic around attack of the two and a half. But the reality is, is when I built attack of the two and a half, two and a half was one of the only hand line sizes that was really being used in the fire service at that time, in the sense that if a manufacturer said this is a two and a half hand line, nobody questioned what it was. But now With people really getting into the nuts and bolts and trying to pair nozzles with hose, the manufacturers are now making hose lines specific to certain target flows and nozzle sizes and stuff like that. And so I think there's been a lot of confusion now because we have roughly a dozen hand line sizes between two inch and roughly 2.8 inches in internal diameter, but they're being marketed as just two inch lines or two and a half inch lines. And if people don't understand what they have, it's get there, there's some issues there. And so the, the latest class that I've created is trying to kind of sort through the weeds of all of this how do we decide between is this a two inch fire is this a two and a quarter fire is this a two and a half fire like all of those things because the answer isn't for us to go out and buy six different hand line sizes for you know six different fire types no how can we be successful with the simplest package to make things easy for everybody across the board that meets our 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 target hazards, our target flow, our staffing, because that's the reality of it is, is each of us have differences in those things. And, uh, that's been my goal lately is not necessarily saying, guys, you got to pull a two and a half guys. You got to be smart about the attack package that you've created with your target flow, with the nozzle that you have on the end of it and taking a more holistic approach to, I, to how I'm, I'm teaching this subject.
0: I was so excited for that. And I hope, that you take that class and you package it up and then I hope you break it down into simple, okay. simple conversations that people can absorb in a couple minute videos for each piece of content because <laughs> I'll tell you flat out, right? So we did we did a project uh, with Snap Tight Hose a while back and I had um, a couple, you know, recognized guests there for a round table. And the two and a half days I spent there, I myself did not realize all of the ins and outs of all this true id right like all of this Mm -hmm. right and and i would think and venture to say that the majority of the fire service has no idea what line they're flowing no idea Mm -hmm. what the ID of that line the inside diameter is if that nozzle actually pairs well with that line that they have the manufacturers you know the fire service drives kind of what's being given so you know what 20 30 years ago there was conversation about true ID hose, but then it was oversized, also, right? So mm-hmm. there's there's a lot of conversation there that people don't know. Right. And I think right. And I'm super jealous of guys like yourself and, and Steve <laughs> Robertson and guys that really make it their mission to know this type of information because that's what you're into, the nuts and bolts, as you say, right? Mm-hmm. And I would love to be able to find a way for you. To share those nuts and bolts with the rest of the fire service, because it will make a difference. I can't stress to people enough now more than ever after learning what I've learned is how important it is for your hose and nozzle selection to be tested together, you know, and so on. Yeah, yeah.
1: And I, I think Dennis Legier was probably the first to really preach that and okay. uh, he's kind of been man the the ultimate resource for for that type of information as of late and i i've just been lucky enough to have you know some conversations with him read the the stuff that he's put out and that's that's truly where we get a lot of our information from and now along with The manufacturers putting out all of these different types, it really does take an understanding of it. Uh, Because the truth is, is guys can take little pieces of it and still miss the mark. Yeah, 100%. That's what I'm saying. You could hear the rest of the fire service say, oh, internal diameter matters. So then they go out and buy a true ID hose but it could still be oversized for the type of target hazards that they have. Um, and the truth is, is that you can put an inch and an eighth tip on any one of those hose line sizes. So whether it's a two inch line, a two and a quarter, a 2.3, a 2.5, it doesn't matter. A, a, an inch and an eighth tip could fit on any one of those, Right. but it doesn't right. necessarily mean that that particular target flow, that particular pressure, that particular hose weight is what is important to that fire department. So, hopefully guys recognize how holistic you have to be in in selecting your attack packages and understand that it's it's not just one piece of information that's going to make it how do they do it it's it's approaching it as as a whole and and like i said it's my goal and it's the goal of many people uh to help people understand that so how do they do it if if anybody has questions about that Please absolutely reach out. And again, I'm not the ultimate resource, but I would love to be able to to pass along what I do know and, and point you in the direction of the people that are those resources. Yeah, I, I
0: think uh, little information is dangerous, especially in this in this area. I think a lot of departments go, "We need new hose," and
1: right. they don't
0: even look. They don't even look at what they need or what they want, or they go mm-hmm. with what they want and not what they need or what you know their demographics require.
1: Right. Right. And I, w- I was having a conversation the other day with a guy out of California who's putting together uh, basically a standpipe attack package where he's looking at nozzles, hose, what types of things need to be in a in a bag. And a guy like him could listen to a podcast and hear Steve Robertson say that his Columbus Fire Department just went to two-inch hose off of the standpipe or that the FDNY is now doing a hybrid package of, of two-inch and two-and-a-half two. for right. a residential fire. And He could assume that that would work in his jurisdiction, not understanding what it took for those fire departments to come to that conclusion. To get there, right. Uh, Because the reality is, is especially in the realm of standby firefighting, we're always going to be limited by pressure in a way that we're not off of an engine. And so you have that conversation with Steve Robertson and say, okay, so... Uh, how much two-inch hose are you willing to go off of a standpipe? And he might say something like, oh, we're only ever going to go 150 feet. But if you just listen to a podcast that says, oh, the Columbus Fire Department went to two-inch hose, then my friend in California could try to make a 400-foot hose stretch without having that piece of information and that would be a losing a losing package for him in most situations. So we got to have all of the pieces of information and if you have questions about why people are making those decisions please reach out to those individuals and understand the context behind that uh, ultimately because it's 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 doing yourself an inservice uh, a disservice yeah. to yeah. just say oh hey we're going to do a hybrid package because the FDNY did it not recognizing what it took for them to come to that conclusion.
0: And I think but that's it. a big struggle though. I think I truly think, especially when it comes to hose and nozzle and fire flow and required fire flow based on, you know, square footage and, and volume and so on. Right. So this is, I think, why people shy away from having these conversations because they don't feel adequate enough to have the conversation. Mm-hmm. I heard you say before on the weekly scrap Corley's a good friend. I listen to your scrap just to get a little Mm -hmm. background on this. And, and you said something, you said you don't ask questions if you don't know.
1: Yeah, absolutely not. You, you don't know what you don't know. And so there's, there's many times where you don't even know the questions that need to be asked. And uh, I mean, you put me on a a truck and I'm going (laughs) to be up a Creek in the same way because what are you talking about? You're Houston's biggest truckie. Are you kidding me? (laughs) That's what I thought, man. Uh, But you know, if, if I'm talking to a guy like Michael Torres out of Chicago, who is money with a 20-foot straight ladder and uses that on right, you know 90% of his fires, and I try to translate that to a situation here in Denver or down in Houston and not understanding the context of why that's such a good ladder for him, that's I, I, I'm just missing the boat if I go to my apparatus committee and say, hey, guys, we need 20-foot ladders because this guy out of Chicago is doing it you know you you have to understand that that there's a reason why guys are doing what they're doing and and be willing to have those conversations yeah. and be yeah. be willing to to be humble in that that you know what just because we carry 16s and not 20s that we might not be doing it wrong but we might have the opportunity to do something a little bit better as well and and guys have to to put ego aside in that regard and be willing to to learn from Guys of, of departments bigger than yours, smaller than yours, uh, staffing. that, And you got to be willing to just, you know, because it, it's all going to apply in different ways.
0: And you got to be willing just to have the conversation. I mean, you've been saying that yeah. a bunch of that. I say the same type. I say the same thing all the time. We got to have a conversation, right? Let's yeah. talk about it. Don't check that ego aside, put it, to, put it to the side and have a conversation on an even playing field and ask the questions you don't know, because when we play dumb, we get in trouble. And I think we do that too often, but I will say, Though I am getting more and more excited because we're finding I'm seeing more and more questions being asked these days. And and a lot of people, some people will say that's to the detriment of the American fire service. Uh, But I think those are the people that are afraid to show some vulnerability that they don't might not have all the answers. And so, um, yeah, I, I think that this is a topic that needs to be explored. And I think we need to do a better job explaining it and talking about it and getting Manufacturers and the training companies and the people like yourself involved to really paint an accurate picture of what we need to be doing to setting ourselves up for success.
1: Yeah, yeah, and uh, uh, it's it's pretty cool. I think that Elkhart has kind of led the way in some of yeah. that with uh, with their brass tax and hard facts series. And I just their, third series, their third series, their third one coming to, out to start that up again. And uh, you know, we appreciate that from the guys who are providing products, right. but just as much so, uh, the the manufacturers aren't who should be driving this. The firefighters and and the people doing the job are the ones who should be driving these questions and and understanding why we're using the tools that are in our hands on a daily basis, you know, and and knowing the ins and outs of it enough to say this is the situation where it applies, this is how we can improve upon the products that have been given to us because a manufacturer doesn't know the same way that we don't know. If, sure. if we're not asking asking these questions of the people providing these products, then they're assuming that they're always putting out a, a decent product to us because people are buying them. But if we're willing to have the conversations, you know, across the board, across the, the fire services, firefighters, and across the, the board to, to the people who are, are getting our money, um, we're, we're better off for it because we're, we're questioning and, and understanding why we do what we do.
0: Beautiful. Well, my man, what a great conversation today. Thank you. Um, I really, really really enjoyed. Um, Where can people find you? People want to ask you hose questions and and, uh, hose packages after that last 15 minute conversation. But (laughs) I mean, ultimately for yourself, I mean, I'm I'm very humbled and happy to have met you and uh, I consider you a friend now. And uh, and that to me means the world. And to be able to share your story today, um kind of getting a little more background about yourself and where you came from over just the uh the engine company stuff but uh I appreciate you taking the time today where can people find you they want to reach out if they need anything what what uh where can they get you yeah so uh,
1: i i guess i'm on social media that's probably the easiest way to reach out on facebook messenger or something like that just just look up my name jonathan brumley uh i i try to provide my phone number to to pretty much everybody as well i put it in all my classes any conversation i have you know, send me a text because I don't answer a lot of out of town numbers, you know, telemarketers have ruined get that for man. us. But uh, uh, if you want to reach me by phone, 970-405-8963, awesome. more than happy to have a conversation with anybody. And then my email is j.brumley33 at yahoo.com. Um, I'd love to see you out at one of the classes because uh, yeah, it's fun to talk about, but it's even more fun to do yeah. Um, so please, uh, please look up what we're doing and, and come out and have fun with us.
0: Well, I wish you, uh, incredible success with your, uh, FDIC 2022 program and you're going to be teaching hot out there again as well.
1: Uh, yeah. So I believe I'll be joining up with Steve Robertson and awesome. his stretching for success cadre again, like I got to do, uh, this last August. Um, and then I'll also have a lecture day there as well, uh, and then several other conferences across the country as well. Uh, Third Coast in Texas, North Florida Fire Expo, Revolutionary Tactics at the Lake. Uh, hopefully, um, sounds
0: like your calendar is we'll filled done, up man. pretty quick, man.
1: It is. It is. Calendar fills up quickly.
0: Well, wife good- is
1: awesome to let me do it.
0: <laughs> well, hundred percent. You know, actually, you know, and and the beautiful thing about it, and that's why I don't want to hold you up much longer. But the the, the gorgeous background you have there. Uh, and the importance of your family and uh, the fact that they're home with you. Uh, is just everything. So yeah. I just, I appreciate your time, man. I really do. I enjoyed the storytelling today and uh, I look forward to chatting with you again and, and doing some future projects with you, man.
1: Perfect. Thanks, Jeremy.
0: Awesome. Don't go anywhere. We're going to cut out. And uh, thank you to everybody tuning in today with Jonathan Brumley out of the Denver, Colorado fire department. Um, and we have uh, let's see here uh the firefight blog which is uh Jonathan, give me the uh website it's www. – dot uh dot dot
1: wordpress dot com um Beautiful. it was just a dot com by itself for a while but uh honestly i haven't updated a whole lot as of late uh
0: it's all right there's still is, good content on there yeah writing has
1: shifted a little bit to, to more of the magazine style and, and within my own department but uh yeah please please check that out please reach out with any questions right you on, got. Right
0: on. I love it. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in. We'll catch you on the next episode. Have a good day. Hey, guys, thanks for tuning in this week and listening to another episode on the National Fire Radio podcast channels. We truly appreciate the support. We thank you for taking the time out of your busy schedule to listen to our interviews, our roundtables, our discussions. It means the world. Like, share, leave a comment. The more we engage, the more we can grow and push the word out and keep making this job better.